welcome back to episode six of Voices of the Runner. Now this episode is structured a little bit differently. We've done it in a bit of a Q&A format. So I've got some of my friends, um, you might know them from previous episodes, Sota Maihara and Natalie Wong, and they're going to help me answer some questions that were from Sota's YouTube channel. And these questions were posed by Vijay Kumar. So huge shout out for him for asking lots of thought provoking questions. And if you haven't checked out Sota Maihara's YouTube channel, make sure you check it out because there's a lot of amazing running content on there. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, guys. Welcome to another podcast. We're here with Jin and Natalie today. And I have a ton of questions here by Vijay Kumalta. Sorry if I completely butchered your name. But all three of us will answer the first question. Then I guess Natalie has to go. But Jin and I can continue on the grind and answer the rest of the questions. So... I don't think I've got, we a, introduce I've got a good question here, Sota, a cool. good one from VJ, which was, how do you manage your study and running? And tell me how to get energetic when doing both. All right, so I'll start off. Um, I guess, you know, it's not easy to balance. Um, I struggled in high school because I was even more busy than now in terms of, you know, studying for sure. I don't know. You got to realize that a lot of people are on the same boat and you got to put your head down and do it, which is probably not the best advice because that's just saying you know just get it done but uh that's the sort of mentality i put myself in and seems to be working i'm getting it done so uh <laughs> i guess that's all i can say but maybe not engine can give some better tips so we'll go off with that now i guess you have to study first and then if you have time you can go run that's basically or i would just skip studying and go run because i can't study anymore <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's all about balance. Like you do have to do your work, but also you have to give your time, your own time, to relax and just run it out, and you get like refresh your mind again, go back to study. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with everything Nat just said. It's all about balance. Yeah. Um, and and a, one thing you can do is find out when your best study and mm, when yeah. you best run, and how that affects your routine. Uh, for example, I know that if I wake up early, go for like a short run in the morning, have a shower, eat breakfast, and then do some study, I'm a lot more efficient than if I, you know, wake up late in late in the morning, do study, then run at night. So I prefer to do a bit more of an early morning wake up, run, than study. Um, I think in terms of managing it, what, what I have here... I can find it is I've got a diary, a running diary. Where are you? You can see how often I use it, right? (laughs) Okay, while Jin finds his diary, so another tip that I quickly have is I use the running to break up huge chunks of studying. So if I have like a lot to study in a day, I kind of split that study into half and then put a run in in the middle to like break it up a bit and uh easy it off but yeah jen is still finding his diary <laughs> okay i honestly can't find it i don't know where it is it's yeah. gone missing but yeah i use a diary to kind of structure my week i structure my diary in four week blocks and in that four week block i have like a goal to aim for for example for that four week block i could be focusing on 5k speed where i'm looking at longer intervals and then I'd actually spend, you know, in that four-week block, I'd actually break it up into one-week chunks. And at the start of each week, I would actually write down what 
runs I'm going to do on which days, what time I'm going to do them, what the point of the workout is and what my goal is. Then after I run that workout, I'd get a red pen and I'd write down what I actually did, which is sometimes quite often a bit different, but that's a good way that I've structured my training and helped me balance. And having that structure has also um, helped me feel energetic because I've structured it around what works best for me. Right. Okay. Well, that was a very thorough answer. Um, but yeah, thank you that for joining for the first question. If you have to go, feel free to leave. But at the same time, feel free to stay if you want as well. Because Jin and I are going to enjoy answering some more questions. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I would say. <laughs> so I think we should start from his first question that I see here from four yeah. months ago. So, what is your mile and 400 meter PB? Oh, I don't know what my 400 PB is. It's like, I, I know I've done a 59 on grass, on a grass 400 meter track, which means I can do a little bit faster on a real track. My mile PB is like 431, I believe. Nah. Me? I've never done one. <laughs> well, time to do it sometime soon, right? Maybe. <laughs> uh, I've actually never done a proper mile. But yeah. when I was doing a uh, track and field, I was doing 1500. And I think when I was about mm. 12 or 14, I was running a 440 was my 1500. And I think my 400 meter time, I didn't have, I'm not a fast sprinter, but I think all I remember was I was roughly 12 years old and I was running about 62 seconds. That's right. Um, which is pretty funny because my 400 meter time is 62 seconds ish and my 800 meter time was 206. So it's pretty much two 400s back to back. Wow. All right, next question. So it seems like he's trying to get into running um, and he's saying that his current mile time is six minutes and he wants to improve down to four minute 40 mile. Um, but one of the issues that he sees is that his 400 meter sprint isn't very fast. Uh, his 400 is only set, his 400 meter sprint is 70 seconds. So how can he improve from a six minute mile down to a 440 mile if he doesn't have much speed in his legs? Right. Yeah. So, um, usually for most people, the issue would be, uh, not having the aerobic base, I would say. So it's kind of rare that speed is the issue, but that's actually a good thing because you know, speed is something you can kind of work on in a shorter amount of time. It takes a long time to build a huge base. But for sprinting speed, I guess I personally can't give too much advice because I'm not like the best sprinter. But I know that some professional mile athletes do a bunch of strides at the end of even easy runs, as long as they don't do too much. So they would do like an easy run. And then at the end, they would maybe do like two by heels um uh kind of fast pace to so like just get the body used to running at a faster pace a bit at the end of each run but yeah other than that maybe do some shorter intervals and see how that goes but may i think jen would have a few bits of advice for sprinting yeah i think um he was saying his 400 meter time is 70 seconds so what's that four laps of 70 seconds 280 so that's 440 sorry is that right four minutes 40 at 70 seconds 
So his 400 meter sprint, if he ran sprinted four 400s back to back, that's four minutes 40, right? Um, so he, he does, you know, have a little bit of bit of speed in his legs in his 400, but I think definitely that could be improved. And so maybe what he can do is do some pure sprint work, like 60 meter sprints or even 30 meter, you know, um, hard sprints like that in his very short intervals. Um, since he's still, you know, only targeting the mile and not longer distances, he can probably get away with doing short, very short sprint sessions. And that can definitely improve his speed. Uh, but he actually uh, has another question, which is a really good follow on. And his question is, is speed in legs natural or can we build speed by training? Ooh, um, so, yeah, what I've heard is it's like 50% natural and 50% like how much work you put in. So I wouldn't say it's impossible to get faster. So like what Jing said, if you do a few more sprints, like pure sprint intervals, 60 meters, 100 meter sprints, I think that would definitely help out. And to add on a bit there, it's also important to know that uh, the glutes are literally the powerhouse of your leg, um, especially when you're doing faster runs. So make sure your glute is activated and you can do that with resistance bags and also just, you know, uh, doing a few more compound lifts, I think like, you know, squats, deadlifts in the gym. I think that would definitely help out with power. Nat, did you have any comments about um, his question there? Yeah, so um, I'm naturally not a sprinter, so I used to have really no speed at all, but I found that recently, the more I do speed into full workout, I'm actually gaining a lot of speed, even though, of course, I'm not the fastest, but I you do see improvement from just working out, like, from 400 meters to, like, 1K or mile repeats, that you gain a lot of benefits from it, and you can improve. Yeah, I, th I think I want to piggyback on what Nat said, and I definitely agree. Um, there's no scientific backing to what I'm going to say next, but this is my personal opinion, is that there is a limit, a physical limit to how fast you can get. And that physical limit can be defined by genetics. But I think most runners, especially, you know, if you're not a pro runner, um, in their lifetime are very unlikely to ever reach that physical limit where you're really clutching at 1% and the genetics actually matter. I think most runners, in particular recreational runners, can improve speed in their legs. And I don't, and I think... I don't think that recreational runners will really hit that ceiling of when genetics actually starts to matter. So yeah, you, think, you actually study sports science, so you can chime in on that. I mean, we, I didn't learn this, but um, that does sound like a pretty credible thing. Well, even though it's not credible because it's coming out of you, but <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, one thing to remember though is, well, yeah, fun fact, your speed does decrease over time. But like Jake said, recreational runners rarely hit that limit. So even though speed technically declines over age, you can still get faster, even if you're, you know, 30 or 40, depending on how recreational you are. Like, obviously, if you're elite, then maybe by the time you're 30 or 40, you're going to get slower. But um, I'm sure that a lot of people can still improve their speed no matter what age. All right, I'm going to throw you another question, which might challenge what you just said. And he asked, VJ asked, what do you think about Indian runners? So um, I think in one of your questions earlier uh, in your video, sort of you asked, where's everyone from? And VJ yeah. answered, he's from India. So 
obviously this is something you know he's worried about but what do you think about indian runners why are they not top level like the kenyans us uk etc i mean my knowledge of runners beyond the us is limited like i would say yeah i would go as far as to say i don't know many runners even in my own country japan like i probably know one or two suguru osako and i don't know i'm struggling to find a second name to be honest <laughs> yeah i don't know i can't actually think of one off the top of my head but yeah so there you go my knowledge from the runners is pretty little but there are like disparities in uh the available resources let's say and you know that may be social economic it may be just education in general or it can be a variety of factors so you know the kenyans have altitude to their advantage so they're going to be used to running with lower oxygen partial pressure so when they go to sea level they're going to be used to running uh well they're just going to be adapted better with more red blood cells the us have like really good media coverage and maybe that motivates people and um inspires people from a younger age they also have more money so they probably invest more money into track and field they might have more running tracks and stuff like that japanese i know have a good culture in terms of work ethics so they all train very hard and they push each other so yeah it kind of depends on the context of where um well the environment that you're in so it's not going to be equal and that's how life is which is unfortunate but that's not to say that you know runners from certain countries can't get to the elite level because you know in the olympics you see a variety of nationalities being represented so i think it's important to keep your head up and you know use the technology that we have nowadays um to see what runners from around the world are doing and maybe learn a bit and see what you can do so i think it's good that vijay uh reached out and asked these questions as well because you know he's going to learn a bit and um i think we should continue doing that yeah i i i agree with what you said about you know um i think there's kind of three avenues could be genetic factors environmental factors and the social structures and i think in terms of genetics you know you might see for example that genetics might only make a difference in the elite elite top level uh in terms of environmental factors places like kenya or ethiopia that are you know at higher altitude um that's definitely going to affect their physiology and the um what's that called not mitochondria i don't know the specific sports science term but mitochondria <laughs> and oxygen uptake in their muscles yeah. um but i think one of the biggest things is probably the social structure in countries like kenya where running is one way of life um but it's also a way that they can escape poverty so running in kenya is something that's you know held highly and the community around that is pretty strong places like japan japan is has one of the is i think one of the most dominant cultures when it comes to um the number of marathon runners in at the elite level and that's because of the social structure in japan rewards the hard work and athletics and sports is something that is a huge focus in their culture same as the us they have a collegiate system and a lot of their um social structures are based on sports scholarships um and i don't know what the case is with india and i don't know i don't have any experience with india but as an outsider in australia when i look at india i don't really see that they take distance running as a big part of their identity or social structure and i think that's probably one of the biggest reasons why you don't see top indian athletes um nat 
in terms of like some of the barriers to running, have you personally experienced any barriers that might have stopped you or stopped someone similar to you getting involved in long distance running? Oh, that's hard. Um, <laughs> I think like having a training group like really makes a difference. Like I was listening to your podcast on May and then she said, I have a similar experience with her where in high school, I didn't join any like athletics training like club. So I was just running like in my neighborhood by myself. And even though I was very disciplined and I pushed myself to run like twice or three times a week, but you can't really see that big improvement just running by yourself. Like I didn't know about speed interval, any other runs. I was just running and running. Don't know what I'm doing, but yeah. And but as soon as I joined Run Club and just run with others, I learned a lot whether running like skills and how to train and yeah, just a lot. And you also get inspired from others that which really helped me to push myself and yeah, and yeah. have a lot so, more experience. So like the social factors are pretty influential. Yeah. All right. A bit of an easier question now. When you first started the workouts, I get I guess workouts in terms of running. Do you feel dead and exhausted? How do you feel? Tell me your struggle of doing workouts. No, he just wants to hear the struggles. Uh, I mean, that's fair. Uh, I think it's important to know that, you know, all runners struggle, even the elites. And I think sometimes when beginners come into a sport, they think that elites don't struggle. But everyone has to race at an uncomfortable pace to get a PR, no matter what level you are. So it's important to know that, first of all. And in terms of just general struggling, you're just gonna struggle less the more you get used to putting yourself into that, you know, faster pace zone in training. Uh, yeah, it's all about adaptation and that'll come over time. So don't worry about it too much, keep your head up and keep training. Yeah, Nat, when you first started workouts, did you feel dead and exhausted? Yes. When I first joined Run Club Interval, I was suffering like every session <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. I always make excuses and skip the interval session. <laughs> um, but then I think this year I really pushed myself to have interval every week. And the more you do, the more you feel stronger and more efficient running. And I really see an improvement in my speed workout like over time that it makes a big difference to your running as well. Like where, and then in your endurance, the slow run, you feel a lot stronger. Now I actually really like my speed workout. I never skip it. <laughs> yeah, I think speed and um, interval workouts are generally quite hard, but that's the point of them, right? Mm, um, yeah. You also need a structure you're training to include easy runs, you know, yeah. what we call LSD. It's like a drug. Um, it's a lot of long, slow distance training. And that should feel really easy. Like I went for a run today and I finished the run and I felt like I had barely done nothing, but you know, that was the point of the run. On the other hand, you know, if you're doing interval training or some people call it, you know, HIIT, H-I-I-T, which stands for high intensity interval training, you know, you expect that to be high intensity and quite hard. And things like you wrote, you know, eight by 400, two minutes rest, the idea is that, yes, you work hard and that's why you give yourself two minutes rest. And that's why the intervals are only, you know, 400 meters. Um, that's the point of them. All right. Yeah. I got some, I got a quick fire question. I'll give you exactly one second to respond. Walter, what's your 100 meter PB? I don't know. That's my answer. Nat, what's your 100 meter PB? 
I've never done one. <laughs> okay, my 100 meter PB is slightly faster than Sorter's. Okay, Sorter, what's your 200 meter PB? I think I've done a 25. Nat? I've never done one as well. Mine's obviously 24.9, 300 meter PB. Oh, I know this, but I was still young. 15 years old, 44 seconds. Nat? Nah, I'm nice. Uh, I have I'm absolutely no I can't yeah. count. <laughs> At the end of a workout. So. Yeah, nah. yeah, I think 300 meters is a bit of an awkward distance. Yeah. That yeah. Not many people race. Mm. Now, on that topic of shorter runs, what, the question here from Vijay is, what do you think about leg speed to complete 400 meters under 55 seconds? If you want to complete a 400 meter in sub 55 seconds, how important do you think leg speed is i'm gonna assume that he's referring to cadence and i think cadence would be important because speed is essentially determined by two main factors one is cadence and two is stride length so you got to work on one of them or both to increase your leg speed or your speed sorry so cadence is the amount of steps you take per minute and you know if you're sprinting you're definitely more than 200 um 100 probably like 220 or more uh, even yeah it takes time to get used to taking that many steps because you can feel a bit uncoordinated at the start so um you got to learn the motor pattern and stuff like that so definitely practice taking more steps uh and two again this comes back to glute activation if you use your glutes better you're going to take um a longer step each step i guess so definitely work on that as well okay what's what's the best way he can work on leg speed i guess strides so a stride is something where you start slow, accelerate until about 95% and then, you know, uh, decelerate and stop. So it will take place over anywhere from like 50 to 150 meters, I would say. Yeah, it's all about building into it and hitting almost top speed or maybe even top speed. And that's when you should be using your arms and um, at really high cadence. I was actually going to say drills. Yeah, me okay. too. Like quick feet drills. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nat, how's your experience with those kinds of drills? Have you done many? Not a lot, but I, I can feel that when you use, activate your glutes and your core and having a good posture and form during your drills really help you perform, like run better in the interval workout. It kind of set you up your body to have the right muscle, using the right muscle and having a good form. Yeah, I, th I think and faster drills, leg as well. Drills, well. Yeah, drills are pretty important when it comes to running, and I think a lot of long distance runners don't do enough drills. Yeah, you've seen a lot of Salter's videos that he does <laughs> drills in his warm ups, and I think doing drills in warm ups is really good uh, because one of the key things that it does is that it connects your muscles to your brain, and so it's really working on those what that would, you would call neuromuscular pathways, so brain to muscles. And it's making sure you're activating the right muscles and working with the right form. And ultimately, in the long run, it'll make you a stronger and also faster runner. All righty. Hey, Sota. Yeah. Um, so this is a bit more of a personal question to you, but maybe... Oh, no. Um, yeah. How yep. did you improve your running from, I guess, a beginner stage to a sub-30 a sub 430 mile and a sub 17 5k and a sub 36 10k you know what were your struggles and what were your workouts like okay so when i was starting off with with the sport i wasn't patient i would say i'm still not patient but 
it's important to know that running is a long-term sport and if you're not here for the long term to enjoy it and as Jin mentioned in his uh, podcast episode uh like enjoying the process and the journey you just won't be able to stay in the long term and you'll burn out eventually and you're not going to enjoy the sport and then you're going to drop out of the sport so don't obsess too much over the times and just get the training in consistently and it will just happen you will get faster so you know it's not going to come in after a month or something just keep working at it and slowly chipping away at your time so just enjoy the process yeah i think i want to uh go a bit deeper in that question when did you first so a 20 minute 5k i think is seen by a lot of kind of more recreational runners as one of the thresholds one of the barriers to break so when did you break a sub 25k and how many years has it been till now where you're aiming to break sub 16 oh uh, yeah um this isn't the best answer but when i lived in thailand we didn't have any 5k races there was only 10 so the first time i broke 20 in the 5k was literally in a 10k race so like when i did 39 something and that was when i was 16 i'm pretty sure so i can't name an exact date but i know that i had a good coach who just helped me increase my mileage slowly and got me there over a long period of time so i know that i remember that it didn't come straight away but so it's been yeah, yeah. about five years yeah but you know that a 39 something 10k is probably closer to a 19 minute 5k or a 19 and a half well yeah i think a 20 minute 5k is probably like a 41 to 42 minute 10k nat nat you're actually aiming to break a 20 minute 5k right now what's your 10k like i've never done one <laughs> it's been like i think four five years since i've done a proper 10k race yeah so what, what would you be projecting to if i do, do a think? 10k yeah because I remember Sota said, um, you can't, you can predict your five, 10K time if you use a 5K and double and plus like 30 seconds, something, 30 to one minute. Yeah, 30 to a minute yeah. and a bit. But, yeah. But I've, I haven't done one for a long time, so I have no idea. All right. Uh, next question for both Sota and Nat. What would you like to break? A 420 mile or a 15 minute 5K? But I'm going to change that question because I think a 420 mile isn't really comparable to a 15 minute 5k. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. would you like to break the four minute mile or the 15 minute 5k? Ooh, okay. And if you I'm break more... one of them, you can never break the other one. What? No. <laughs> that, that's such a weird question. I, I, um, I'm more invested in the 5k. I'm going to have to say break 15. Nat? Yeah, I would say break 15. Wow, okay. I'm going to go the opposite and say I want to break the four-minute mile. I mean, it's... I've never done a mile, so... It's a more famous achievement, for sure. Yeah. Okay. My background is in track, right? Middle distance. Mm. So the mile is something I'd do. And it'd be nice to, you know, break the four-minute mile, but also be an ultra-marathoner. Yeah. yeah. Complete opposite sides. <laughs> All right. I, it's a great qu next question is a great question for all of us. What is your monthly expenditure as an athlete? Oh, that's actually good. Um, aside from the shoes, the only money I would use on running would be commuting. So transport. I would try my best to not eat out after a run. 
Um, I've done a few runs where people go out to eat at a cafe after and I don't eat anything and I just go there to talk. So it'll be, I don't know, let's say 50 a month on transport, $50. Yeah. What, what, do you, what would you say is like your biggest expenditure when it comes to being an athlete? Definitely shoes. So running is not the sort of sport where you need a ton of equipment. Uh, you can if you take it super serious, but you know, the fundamentals you need is definitely a shoe and shoes can get expensive sometimes, but I've learned from experience that going to outlets really help out and um, I've gotten some cheap shoes. So definitely try buying some outlets near uh, where you live. Haven't you heard of barefoot running? That might solve your problem there. <laughs> I actually have a book called Running with the Kenyans where they talk a bit about uh, barefoot running. And, you know, I've considered it, but it's the sort of thing where you have to switch completely to barefoot running. Otherwise, you don't get the benefits of it. All right, not expenditure monthly. I think, yeah, it's a transport. Getting on a train, but also the after post run brunch. Getting coffee. I was going to say, don't lie, Nat. You only run so you can go to the uh, cafe. Yeah, I run for the brunch. So that's why I run. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yes, the social aspect, like after you run, you get really hungry as well and tired. So you have to get some food. And yeah, also the shoes, the clothes, and (laughs) buy new equipment. Yeah, for me, I think the, in terms of expenditure, the greatest expenditure I mean, I, I like, I'm a bit of a gear junkie, so I like a lot of gear, but I don't think that's the biggest expenditure. I think it's actually race nutrition because I do a lot of longer runs. My Sunday runs or like Sundays, I usually like to spend like eight hours or so out on the trails and you need to carry a decent amount of food, nutrition to keep yourself hydrated and fueled up um, and electrolytes. And that gets quite expensive as well as um, races, races, are definitely really expensive especially when you come to ultra marathons if you want to do like a 50k costs about 250 uh, australian dollars to uh, pay the entry fee into the race Um, but the other thing is races are generally in more remote areas so you have to think about transportation there accommodation and a lot of the time with ultra marathons you don't go alone you usually have a crew someone to help you so you've got to think about those costs. Um, but probably the biggest thing that's the hardest thing for me is how much food I eat and how much time I have to spend cooking all the food I eat. Um, I can't cook. If I cook for a family of one, that might maybe, if I'm not too hungry, last me one meal. Um, <laughs> um, one of my most free, one of the meals that I most frequently cook is a kilo of pasta with 800 grams of minced beef with 800 grams of um, mixed beans and bacon and like four carrots, three onions, two broccoli, and it's just that doesn't last me long either. So um, <laughs> cooking all that food is. I could be earning quite a lot of money if I, you know, became a chef just with all the time I spend cooking. All right, Sorta, uh, question for you is, why did you go to Australia when you could have chosen to go to the US? And I think that's a good question when it comes to um, maybe how serious you are with running. Yeah, so um, I knew about the 
American college collegiate sports systems from quite a young age, I would say, and mainly because my coach in high school was from the U.S. And fun fact, he actually competed with Galen Rupp once. So that was pretty interesting to hear from him. But um, as soon as I heard about the NCAA uh, system, I got really invested in it and I definitely wanted to go there. Um, in my junior year, I was like so set in stone in going there. But the process of getting into contact with coaches and um, sorting out which school to go to and stuff like that is a very, very long pro process. You have to go through a lot of um, administrative things for the NCAA itself as well beforehand, uh, which I did finally get through after, you know, a few months. Yeah, eventually the schoolwork caught up to me and I got busy and before I knew it, I graduated and I just had no time. And I had to spend my gap year because uh, Australia starts in February, I graduated in May, so I had almost a full year, so I decided to come to Australia. And yeah, in another video I talk about like why I chose Sydney, but you know, that's a pretty basic reason. It's just financially it was more worth it for me because the degree was shorter. Do, do you kind of um, regret, do you kind of regret not following or pursuing uh, the US collegiate system more? I've gotten this question a few times and if I have to be super honest with myself, yes, because I know that if I was in that NCAA environment, even if it's Division Two, which is what I was going for, I would arguably i would think that i would have been a better runner by now because of the fact that the depth in the us is crazy um especially in the collegiate level it's the best in the world so i think i would have been a better runner but you know after meeting all the friends in running that i have here we still have you know plenty of good runners i'm not the fastest in sydney so i definitely improved a lot from coming to sydney as well so not huge regrets, but I did want to experience the collegiate experience in the US as well. I guess that comes back to that um, social factors that if affect different countries and why, I guess, you know, what he asked about, why aren't there as many top Indian runners as places like Kenya and US? It's the support you get from the people around. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is a question that Sorta laughed at quite a while ago, um, oh. but I thought was... A really good and interesting question is what is the difference in park slash trail track and road all right so i took this literally and you know i was like you know the difference is track you're running on a rubber track and then park you're running in a park but okay no that's sorta's answer. answer that's sorta's oh. answer that's your answer sorta you're done nat what's the difference between park track and road track you are basically just running loops the 400 meter loops and it's like the same there's no elevation. There's like nothing, like not no difference anywhere anywhere in the world. The track is a standard, so you can kind of compare your time and stuff. Park is like you can be a lot different. You can have a really hilly park. You can have like full path or like a bit of rocks and different terrain and stuff. So yeah, I, th I think I'm going to start off with the difference of the surface. I think on park, yeah. you're generally running on things like, if you're running on things like grass, um, it's a much softer surface where it absorbs a lot of the impact and doesn't have as much return. So you lose a lot of energy into the grass because it absorbs the force and it will slow you down. Um, on the other hand, things like track and road are a bit more responsive. They don't um, kind of shrink underneath your foot. So you'll definitely have much faster times on track and road as compared to park. 
which is a lot of where cross-country running is done. In terms of the difference between track and road, on the surface, you notice that the track is a bit uh, bouncier. So it's got a lot more feedback, got a lot, lot more response. And so track running is generally actually a lot faster. Um, and um, the other thing is the bounciness of the track also makes it a bit softer. So in terms of like foot injuries and stress fractures, I, this is again, no scientific evidence backing it, but I actually find track running to be a bit safer for those um, stretch, stress fractures on your foot because you're not pounding the pavement as hard. Um, now, further into track and road, it's very interesting and there's a significant difference between track and road running. And that's made very clear by the world records. So Joshua Chapter Guy recently broke both world records, the 5,000 meter on the track and the 5K on the road. And the 5,000, 5K on the road is 12 minutes 51, but the 5,000 on the track is 12 minutes 35. So that's a good 16 seconds difference between track and road, which is quite massive when it's exactly the same distance. And I think that it's one of the surface of the track is a bit more responsive, so you run faster, but it's also about, I think, the environmental factors. You're running on something that's flat, so there's no elevation, while on the road, you're generally going to have some ups and downs and hills that are not able to be controlled because they're factors of the course. You have other things like wind on a track. You generally got stadiums and things like that. So you're a lot more protected while on the road, you could be running alongside uh, waterfronts where you're more exposed to the environments. Also on the track, you've got nice smooth turns while roads, you can have things like hairpin turns, you know, 90 degree turns, which slow you down, force you to take a wider angle. Um, so things like that. So I think there's a huge difference between park track and road. And I think that just if just because you're a good runner on a track doesn't necessarily mean you'll be, you know, the same elite performer or top performer on the park in cross country. Certainly uh, athletes like Kenanisa Bekele are well known for their, for their dominance over track running, uh, over the cross country distances where he won the world cross country championships six years in a row in both the short course and the long course. And he's also very dominant now on the road. He's challenging Eliud Kipchoge's world record in the marathon. But at the same time, you know, he's probably an, uh, a special case in, you know, for a lot of other athletes, being a good cross-country runner doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best road or track athlete. Anything else to add, Sota? I cut you off at the start. Would you like to give some insights into the difference between park, track, and road? I mean, I think both of you covered pretty much what I said. Like, while you were starting the talk, I, you know, had terrain in mind and stuff like that, but I think you covered it pretty thoroughly. Alrighty. So there's two questions here about specific athletes. First one I'm going to go through, which is uh, TRP, total running production. His absolutely favorite athlete that he's fanboys around it's Jakob Ingebrigtsen. So, Sota, what do you think about Jakob Ingebrigtsen? He's a very talented young boy. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he said. I saw it. Yeah. Um, he is indeed a very talented man. Um, he's not even 20 yet. And he's accomplished some things that most runners will never accomplish in their lifetime. So, that's the most impressive thing about him. And I can see why 
uh, total running productions is, you know, like pretty invested in him and stuff like that it makes a lot of videos because we're not going to see an athlete like him for a while because of what he's achieved. And um, yeah, he's just interesting because he has two brothers that are also very fast. And now he's the fastest amongst the three and he has a bright future ahead. Hopefully he doesn't burn out too quickly, but um, I'm also a decent fan of him and I hope he does well. Natalie, I, I, I don't know how much you follow the Ingebrigtsons, but uh, do you have any insights into Jakob Ingebrigtsen? I don't even know who is this. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I'm like having to look up on Google right now. <laughs> well, I, I think, yeah, Jakob, you know, he, he's very young. Um, he's only a few years younger than us. So it's a bit weird to say that, but um, he, he is kind of the future of running. And recently he did break the European record at the age of 19, beating uh, Mo Farah's record, European record. And if we think about what kind of runner or how dominant Mo Farah was in the years after, you know, Kenanise Bekele, Mo Farah was one of the most dominant track athletes, long distance track athletes um, in the world. You know, he won multiple Olympic titles um, and he was quite dominant in the, in the uh, world, world championships or athletics. And Jakob, you know, only a teenager kind of, beating his record, I think it puts him in a really great spot, you know. And last year at the age of 19, he was ranked second in the world for the 1500 metres. Um, and, you know, I think he, he is, he is a, a bit of a step behind Chariot in the 1500. And I, I think we kind of saw that in one of the latest... Um, Diamond League meets, I forgot which one it was, where um, I think uh, Chariot and his paces went out crazy with like a 54-second first lap or something like 52. that. 52. 52-second, and it was absolutely insane. But, you know, Chariot went with the paces and the first 800 was absolutely crazy. And I don't know what was wrong with the paces, but they were obviously doing something clearly wrong. But Jakob Brixen was the second in line, he was pacing a really good lap. I think he did 54.5 for his first lap and his pacing splits were on point. Chariot, on the other, on the other hand, was all over the place with his pacing. Yet on that last lap, Chariot was, I saw him, he was struggling a bit, but I could see a smile on Chariot's face when he beat Ingebrigtsen to the line and Ingebrigtsen couldn't chase him down. And I felt like Chariot Smile was saying, you know, even though I had this terrible race, like, <laughs> you still can't beat me kind of thing. Um, and I think that puts Chariot a step above Ingebrigtsen at this stage. But you got to remember that he's still really young. And I think he has a very bright future. And I think uh, Total Running Productions, he does a really good job highlighting the potential for Jakob um, and saying how he you know he looks very promising in the 5k distance yeah i'm going to quickly lastly add that he's the youngest to ever break four in the mile as well so broken at a pretty young age i think he was 15 or something all right another track athlete hopefully nat you know who this person is what do you think about joshua chapter guy's 5k record and i'm not sure whether he's referring to the road record or the track record i think um, 
when he commented that, that was like a day or two after he broke the track record. So he'll be referring to that. Usually with track, you say 5,000 meters and road, you yeah. say 5K. I yeah. don't know why that's the standard, but maybe, maybe that, someone can comment down below why they why the road is yeah. called 5K, but the track is usually called 5,000 meters. Yeah. No, any yeah. thoughts? Yeah. yeah, Nat, why don't you kick us off? Why do you... Do you have any thoughts about Joshua Cheptegei's 5,000 meter world record? Oh, it's a world record, so it's pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fast. <laughs> I can't comprehend like these track time, like, but, but it, yeah, just crazy fast. Because <laughs> this is a pace that I can never run at. So. <laughs> we probably can't sprint at. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's I guess... more like 5K, <laughs> crazy. So I guess to give more context than that, I'll read out what pace that is. So I think that's 401 or 402 pace. Uh, a, in the mile, in the mile. Yeah. Mile, mile yeah, what's that? So and, that's a uh, 60.5 per lap, every lap, for 12 and a half laps. Yeah. Yeah. And the what's K that pace? split, the K split, the K pace, right, is like 230, I'd like to say. Two, 230, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that is insane and, you know, probably incomprehensible for uh, a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, my opinion is very insane. He had the new Nike Dragonfly Spikes, which is pretty cool. And apparently it's a good shoe that helps out a lot. And it has Zoom X foam. So, yeah, uh, interesting spike. But, again, respect to him for breaking the world record. I'm going to say something slightly controversial here and... Going into the race, I didn't believe he could break it. Um, probably because I'm a bit of a Bekelic fanboy. Huge fanboy of his massive kick on his last lap, which always destroys everyone. But I didn't believe Chapter Guy had it. I know that Chapter Guy did break the 5K road world record, you know, not too long before. But I didn't think that the track would make 16 seconds difference. I didn't think that he would break it. I was very sceptical. Um, and it really, really surprised me when he beat it. And he beat it by, I would say, a decent margin. Yeah, um, he, he, he had a cracker of a race. It seems like everything went perfectly for him on that race. And I think it's a bit unbelievable that he was able to do it. And I'm still surprised and shocked that that's the new 5K world record. But there's a challenge I kind of want to do. And... Uh, I'm, I'm making this up and I'm going to make it a thing, which is the chapter guy 5k challenge where I'm going to try to get a team of people on the track to run one lap each or one lap at a time in a relay fashion to try to beat his world record. So I'm going to find a few people that can run 60 second 5k of uh, 60 second 400s. And then we'll just do a relay and rotate. Maybe if I can get like four people, we can each get three laps each. That's gonna be tough, but it would make it. It would make for a great video, and I've thought of that idea as well once. But yeah, never been able to find the people to do it with, unless we like tone it down to a two hundred and like do it. But is that all the questions? Or like a hundred meters. No, no, there's still plenty of questions to go. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um. So so, I mean, sort of. You asked for. You said injured and have nothing to upload so it's q a time hit me up with some questions and i think he's done a terrific job of asking lots yeah, of questions he did, he did. lots of thought-provoking questions as well yeah so one of his questions here is do you like 
or can you share a training program for breaking five minutes in a mile? And he was asking for a full training program from off season to final race. I think in, you know, that that's a pretty in-depth thing to do. Yeah. And instead of getting too detailed, why don't we talk a bit more about um, periodization in training and what's the difference between things like off season to training to race? All right. So there's a season's arc basically. And uh, if we talk about it in weekly mileage, you start off by building the base up slowly, uh, where you're going to get aerobic fitness. And then your weekly mileage starts to plateau after a bit of time, because you're not going to be able to increase it forever. You're not going to be running 500 kilometers in a week. So it will cap off a different place for different runners because everyone's different. Then you start trickling in some speed workouts and that's going to help you build your speed. And then, when it comes to race season, you start to decrease your mileage so that you feel good on your legs. And that's basically the concept of tapering where you run less, but keep up the intensity. So you want to keep doing your speed workouts. And then on the final week before the race, you want to um, do a really short workout. So I typically do eight by 200 or something like that. And then um, do a really low mileage week and then race. So that'll be, I would say, you know, a good training program to do for um, a short five mile. Uh, I'm going to uh, modify the question slightly for Nat and ask what is an off season and why is it important? Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, I guess it just seems um, after like, a race, you have been training for quite a few months and you put a lot of like stress on your body and you yeah, so after a race, you need time for your body to recover and also for your mental as well to have a rest and before you start another training for another race. Like, give your whole body physical and mental a break. Yeah, that's a very important point. It's not just physical rest, but it's also mental rest to keep yourself fresh because being a good runner doesn't mean you run for a year. It means that you're running for decades. And I think having an off-season and that helps with balance. I think that that's a very important thing about for longevity, right? Now going a little bit less out of training, specific training and performance, we're going to talk about aesthetics as a runner. Now, how do you, how do you decrease muscle mass in your legs? Um, for example, like marathoners have really thin legs and maybe a follow-up question for that is, do you think having a large muscle mass, in your legs is something that's going to slow someone down or is it something that's going to speed someone up? Okay. So to answer the second question first, whether it affects you, um, I'd say it depends. I know some runners who have pretty big legs and I think that kind of helps for elevation and stuff like that. I know Jin and Daniel Valio have pretty big legs and they're really good at the longer distances where there's, you know, a bit of climbing involved and like, enduring strength involved so i think that can help you out in that sense um in terms of uh losing muscle mass i've always had skinny legs from the start before i got into running as well so i can't speak from experience but i've heard that just running more slow mileage helps out with um getting thinner legs hey nat what yeah. does speed training do to your legs does speed things like intervals increase muscle mass or decrease muscle mass? I think it increased. Like, yeah. You yeah. Do uh, get, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I would say interval training and a lot of high speed work where you're having a lot of impact in your, a lot of impact force because you want to generate speed. That's going to increase your muscle mass, um, which I don't think is a bad thing. Having a lot of muscle mass could mean that you have a stronger push off making your stride length longer. I don't know, just speculation. Um, but yeah, maybe it's to do a lot of longer, slow, easy runs. I'm not sure. Yeah. Someone needs to do some research. Uh, we kind of touched on this one um, a bit earlier, but what's the importance of drills in running? Uh, so yeah, as we touched on earlier, I think it would be good for speed, as Jen and Natalie said. So um, it's also about activating the right muscles, going back to glute activation. You kind of get used to using the right muscles that you use for running. So drills have a purpose. Um, I'm not going to say I know the purpose of every drill. I kind of do it because other good runners do it. But um, every drill is going to help you out with some aspect of running. And it's important to not neglect it and do it properly. What's your favorite uh, drill, running drill? I don't really have a favorite. Um, I'll be boring and I'll just say the, the one with where you can't bend your legs and you land on the ball with your feet. Can I say, can I say yeah. my favorite one? That my, the one that I love watching you try is a Kenyan skip because you look so awkward and uncoordinated. <laughs> okay, we're going to move Thanks. on. Hey, Nat, what's your favorite uh, running drill? I like the, um, the high knees because it really, oh, like, you use your arms, like you're, you have a real upright posture and also fast legs. It makes you, like, you aim to lift it high but also fast. So I think really set you up for the interval later yeah i i love uh high knees as well i i remember well i was like 12 years old when i was training for athletics and i was doing this drill with high knees and my coach looked at me and just said you're not even touching the ground you look like you're floating um i don't know that's that's all i remember and i i think that's why my high knees my favorite <laughs> this is a good one i think it's pretty relevant for all of us is how to increase power in legs as a runner for speed. Sorta, like, you've so, got pretty skinny legs. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like my power is pretty bad, but power um, actually is strength times speed. So that's one thing to know. You should understand power before you, you know, act upon it. But I think increasing power is going to the gym, doing some squats where you lift heavy, but you do it quickly. So doing it slow would increase your strength, but doing it fast, will increase your power. So fast lift would be good. But so that's explosive, what I about it. explosive motions yep. with that. Yeah. Nat, how do you train for, I guess, power or strength? Well, I've been doing a lot of Pilates. So it's like not as intense as gym weightlifting, but it's focused a lot of um, low intensity, but repetition with a lot of pulses and like, but at the same time, you use a lot of different muscle groups that those muscles that you don't normally use in running. And I think overall, it really helps you build a strong form, like posture and everything else, just holding your body together and giving the strength to push, like give you, I think, power as well. Yeah. In your speed. Yeah. Well, doing a bit of Pilates um, with you has definitely taught me that. It, there's a lot more focus on stabilizer muscles yeah. rather than the big muscle groups. It works yeah. on the smaller stabilized muscle groups, the more peripheral muscle groups. And it really helps um, in terms of rounding out 
um, mm. your whole body. I think especially one of the gripes I have with road running is that when I run on the road, I feel like my legs are just like a machine that's going through the same motions and I'm using yeah. the same muscle groups, which eventually ends up where you have a lot of strength in one motion, but a lot of weakness in other motions. And so Pilates is one good way to accommodate for that is to compensate for that is to work on the other stabilized muscles. But that's also why I love trail running so much, so much more than road running is that you're using different muscle groups. You're doing a lot more lateral movements. You're going up, down, sideways, you're going everywhere. And so you're using all different muscle groups and you're kind of getting a more well-roundedness to um, the, the strength and the training in your muscles. As that's my personal opinion. Alrighty, Sorta, we see that you take, actually this question is probably better for Nat because Nat, you study, you're doing masters in nutrition. Yeah, so Vijay's question, it's probably relevant to a lot of people. And is it necessary to take supplements for good results or can we get good results by eating simple foods? I want this. It depends what you mean by good result. Like, yeah, I, I think I think he's talking about like, can can you still can you still perform well perform without well. taking supplements, mm. or are supplements necessary? It really depends on what's your normal diet. So, for us, every human, like, um, you can live off just having a well balanced diet with eating a range of food, like whole food and natural, like. But um, if you have a very narrow diet you might be lacking in some kind of vitamins or specific like macro and micronutrients and that's when you have to be more conscious like if you have a special like vegan diet or vegetarian or yeah um also it really i think for runners um it's very important on the post-workout recovery um nutrition like especially after a race or just a heart workout where um i think the golden hour like window frame is the half an hour to one hour after each workout where your body really needs the um the water and also electrolytes and just um like protein and carbohydrate to help you recover and yeah help you build the muscle like recover the muscle and i want to probe your mind on this now um, so this is my personal view, but when I think of supplements, for me, I treat them more like they supplement my diet, meaning they they just a little extra cherry on top. Yeah. They're not the whole cake itself. Yeah. They're a the little bit extra to just help me. Sometimes maybe I'm having a stressful time or you know, maybe I'm feeling a bit under the weather and need a bit of boost or I know that I've done a pretty long effort maybe I've gone out for a long really long run and I want to you know think about increasing my iron intake because of the foot strike hemolysis where you burst red blood cells when you land um, then I would take supplements uh, because in a way that's supplementing my diet uh, what's your view on this as someone that's studying a master's in nutrition yeah definitely like for runner i think we're more especially after long workout for long distance like you need the electrolytes that's i always take that as well and, and it's just something that it helps you like 
this helps you with recovery a lot better if you take the electrolyte and it's something that it's not bad like it's something you can add to your diet that it helps like it's not bad to take any extra me and also for myself as well I take iron supplement because I know I've been lacking in iron and it's really affecting me as a runner or just having energy for normal days so it really depends on the individual and yeah get a blood test if you want to know if you are like lacking in any specific nutrients that that's when you actually need to take supplement for your like yeah. for effects sota, yeah, I, don't, sota yeah. I, I know that um on the side you have a extra side hustle which is a drug store where you sell a lot of um, Wait, supplements. What? <laughs> uh, what supplements do you take from your heavy stack? Wait, what are you talking about? In your room. Yeah, okay. So it's important to remember that, um, as Jen touched on, supplements are called supplements for a reason. They're not meant to be, you're not meant to be taking it like all the time, uh, especially if you haven't gotten a blood test like Natalie said. So, uh, be careful with that. Get a blood test if you're going to take it regularly because you don't even know if you're lacking it. Um, so, yes, I do have supplements, but as Jing said, I kind of use it uh, when I think I need it. So it's not like a daily routine, have it for every meal sort of thing. It's not replacing my diet. I try to eat a balanced diet with my limited budget, but I think I do need to eat a bit more greens. So I think uh, Natalie inspired me a bit there. Because I did eat a lot of greens back in Thailand because it was just cheap to eat out. So I could eat a lot of different foods. But now that I'm cooking everything, I'm kind of going towards the easy stuff to cook. You have some supplements. I, I've been in your room and you, yeah. you do have some supplements. What yeah. do you have and how often do you take them? Yeah, so um, I have magnesium and calcium. Maybe if you want to grab them out. Right here, I have calcium capsules and this I kind of take when I feel like I have a bone problem so I think earlier a few months ago I had you know about a week where I was suffering uh bone pain on my foot and that was when I was like okay maybe I need to take in more calcium and I just used my intuition and took more calcium tablets magnesium I have when I feel like I need uh, to recover from like muscle soreness and stuff like that because they say that potassium, magnesium, and zinc help out with muscle recovery. So um, yeah, I take that when I'm really sore. So like after a race or after a hard workout and I actually haven't taken magnesium in a while so I'm going to take one right now because um, I'm really sore from a workout <laughs> yesterday where I ran quite fast for eight kilometers. Is that all the supplements you have? Um, I have multivitamins, but I don't take that anymore like right. we're talking last time i took it was months ago on the subject of eating uh these are our last couple of questions what do you think about running on an empty stomach nat well while sort is taking his supplements do you want to start off start us off um it really depends on the individual like some people do really well on the empty stomach where they feel fresh they can like just run easily but i know myself if I don't take food before I in the morning before I run, I often feel I have less energy and I don't run as well as I could. So, but some people do really well. Like it really depends. Sorta. 
Yeah, so I actually did a bit of research a while back. Uh, so my knowledge might not be perfect, but I know that if you run in a fasted state, so when you you know sleep, wake up, don't eat breakfast, and run, you burn more fat because you're not uh, replenishing your glycogen storage. So I think if you want to burn fat, then it is good. But it's important to remember that running on no food is always like a bit of a risk. So if you do run in a faster state, you always want to make sure that you're not pushing it too much and it's going to be an easy run. So um, as long as you try it once and do a short distance and you're not feeling dizzy or anything, I think it's um, a good idea to do occasionally. But it really depends on the person that makes sure you do your research beforehand because it can be dangerous. And I personally don't do it because I don't have any fat to burn in the first place. So I just eat and run. Uh, I think... There's, I have a bit to add to this point about eating with an empty stomach. Uh, so running with an empty stomach. And you brought up the point of fasting, um, running in a fasted state. So a technique in ultramarathons or, you know, one thing you got to think about in ultramarathons is you're going to be out there for a long time. You're going to have to think about fueling, eating. And at some stage in your race, you're going to be in a bit of a fasted state. And so one of the techniques in training for an ultramarathon is to actually purposely run in a fasted state. So for me, when I do my morning runs, I purposely don't eat. So I would purposely actually eat a big dinner, wake up in the morning, not eat anything and go straight out for a run. And so what I'm training my body to do is to kind of adapt to that situation where I don't really have much muscle glycogen source. So what my body needs to do is to start mobilizing fat stores a lot earlier to, for the energy. And that's a technique that's pretty common and pretty important when it comes to ultramarathons is learning or teaching your body to start burning fats. Now, if you want to run on a fasted state, you're probably best off doing it in the morning um, because you've naturally had that sleep that, you know, probably around six to eight hours where you haven't had anything to eat. So your body doesn't have any muscle glycogen stores or uh, much glycogen system and it has to rely on fats. If you want to do it in the afternoon, it's a bit harder because you have things like lunch that you need to worry about. Um, that leads on to the next question, which is what's the best time for running and workouts? Is it AM or PM? And what's your preference? And I think I want to follow on with talking about fasted state. I would say it depends on what run and why I'm doing that run. If I'm doing that run to train my body to get used to running in a faster state and burning fat as an energy, then I would prefer to do my run in the morning. And that's why I like the bagels run on Tuesday mornings. But if I was to target something else, if I want to be well-fueled because I want to hit key splits in an interval workout, or I know I've got a really tough tempo session where I'm all about trying to recruit the right muscle fibers, you know, work in that aerobic state um, and be able to hit splits, then I would prefer to those, do those in the PM where I've had the day to hydrate and fuel up and I have enough muscle glycogen to hit that workout. So I'll tell I, I have a few things to add, yeah. So uh, the first thing I wanted to say was, I think it's important to reiterate the point that it really depends on the runner. So I'm personally a five and 10K runner. Vijay, you sound like you're a mile runner. So I think for us, we don't need to rely on fasted running as much as 
glycogen because we're never going to do a run that's long enough for us to deplete our glycogen storage. So in my opinion, VJ, personally, I think you should um, eat before all your runs as long as your stomach can handle running after eating. Um, and yeah, going back to the question on when I like to run, I'm personally a fan of running in the morning, but it depends on the weather. So when it's winter, I don't like running in the cold, so I prefer running at midday. But if I was back in Thailand where it's hot all day, all night, I definitely prefer running in the morning because I just feel like I'm energetic if I run early. I want to piggyback in what you said about being a 510K or being a mile runner, not having to train for that fasted state. Um, I, as an ultra marathoner, do need to train for that fasted state. At the same time, a lot of the times when I'm doing, um, sometimes when I'm doing AM runs or sometimes when I'm doing afternoon runs, I'll actually purposely eat while running. So I'll eat a sandwich, I'll eat potatoes, I'll eat a muesli bar, I'll open a bag of chips, I'll eat whatever the hell, I'll drink a coffee while running. And that's because in ultra marathons, you typically do need to eat while on the move and your body um, needs to get used to being able to digest and metabolize all of the fuels that you're taking in. Um, and so that's another thing, you know, that's quite different um, and something to think about in your training. Uh, Natalie? she's still with us when do you prefer to do your runs a.m p.m oh i like to do mine p.m right so if i run by myself around my home i like to do like four to five like four after four p.m when it's sunset time because usually the weather is really nice and cool and you finish your day or your study or have a break and then yeah it's very nice but if I'm running with others, like training, training or whatever. Um, we usually do morning runs because you get your run done in the morning and you have your rest of the day to study, to do other things. So. Alrighty. And I think there was a lot of questions there. And I think we really appreciate the amount of interest he's taken into your channel. Well, yeah. I don't know if we appreciate it, but I'm sure Sorta appreciates all the yeah. effort and the questions yeah. and all the interesting um, ideas that you've brought to our discussion here. But yeah. Sorta, it's your channel. Do you want to take it away? Yeah, so Vijay, honestly, thank you so much for all the questions. We had fun answering them. If you don't mind, leave another 30 questions. <laughs> so now we can make another episode. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I'm sure Jin and Natalie enjoyed answering them as well. So appreciate it. And yeah, thank you for watching this long podcast episode. I think it's been the longest one so far. I definitely enjoyed uh, picking out all our brains. Now that's all we have for episode six of Voices of the Runner. I hope you enjoyed and stay tuned because we upload every week.